And so one of them is bias for action. This is actually one that we try to adhere to. You know, there are variations of that with Facebook's move fast and break things. I think it's important to note that it's no longer 2013 and that people's expectations of products have increased. So you can no longer really just launch a random duct tape MVP. There's still a lot more quality that needs to go into it. But I would say keeping that that initial bias for action, that spark to, to just go in and do stuff, that's, that's essential for a startup at our stage. My name is Marin Smiljanic. I am the co-founder and CEO of OmniSearch. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Myron Smiljanich built the search for your online courses, be it audio or video, powered by AI. All this and more on Code Story. Marin Smiljanic was born and raised in Croatia. He attended a local math school, which actually got him into tech. Post-attending college, his first experiences of the industry were through internships and startup involvement. Outside of tech, he likes to hike, swim, winter sports, being outdoors, etc. And he lives in Vancouver now, which gives him great access to all of the above. He says the main difference between Vancouver and Croatia comes down to food. Croatia contains a bit more traditional cuisine, seafood close to the water, and meat-based dishes inland. During his Amazon years, Marin was hitting a few problems on a regular basis, having to sift through dense training content on a daily basis. And the training format was all over the map, video, audio, text, etc. After brainstorming with his now co-founder, they decided to build an MVP starting with an API. This is the creation story of OmniSearch. OmniSearch, basically, it's really search for everything and making all the content on your site searchable. So we actually started off with audio and video. And one of the really cool features and really cool functionalities that we offer is that you're able to type something into a search bar and jump exactly to the points in the audio or video files. You as a, as a site owner, as a creator, as anything of that sort, you can basically just integrate that into your site and then expose that functionality to your users. So apart from this, given that we work a lot in the education space, we've expanded that to, to cover all sorts of different file formats. So we do the classic, you know, PDF, text, Word documents, presentations. So you can search basically all this in a global view, meaning that you search all the content at once, not just search within a single document, but the global view, and you can expose this to your end users with a with a single click and with a single search bar. Tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, right? How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Since I was preparing for this interview, which is basically a entrepreneur startup journey interview, I was actually doing a little bit of reconstruction and trying to figure out like, yeah, what exactly did we put into the MVP? I, I actually uncovered some of the, the old videos that I had, that I had recorded. And uh, the, the initial MVP was basically just like, you had a, a forum where you pasted some videos that were stored on, on S3. 
it performed speech to text and then basically had an API that you could query to get the results from there. The demo then would, would basically go into some Postman queries, which I was showing. And also then I kind of showed how to integrate it into, into a site with JavaScript snippets. So it was all very bare bones, very MVP-ish. I think it, it was about two weeks or so. If I recall correctly, probably hosted on Heroku or something along those lines. Maybe another thing to mention is like how we got to building this. Me and my co-founder, Mate, who is the CTO, we basically got inspired after we had talked about uh, some of the problems that I've been hitting at during my Amazon years. Basically, one of the main problems being that with a lot of different training materials that, that we needed to go through, almost on a daily basis, and it, this was dense, dense technical content, and you would oftentimes need to refer back to it at some point. And I would spend hours just, you know, going through the materials and trying to find what I was looking for. And it might have been some, you know, difficult concept about scaling or about distributed systems and consensus. I don't know. But basically, there was no particularly good way, good way to find that. And I figured, you know, you really should be able to provide this sort of a con control F functionality to be able to jump to the exact points. So yeah, we brainstormed a bit and decided let's launch the MVP and let's see how it goes. With any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about, okay, you know, what are we going to build first and what are we not going to build, right? What are we going to cut? What technical debt are we going to accept? So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. I actually don't think that we made that many difficult decisions and trade-offs in the in the MVP itself. Most of the most of the tougher decisions that we had to make were later on once the product was a bit more full-fledged. With the MVP, the main focus is okay, so we can launch audio search first. And that is going to demonstrate everything very nicely. We can show how this can be integrated into the sites. So we weren't focused on building a full fledged product in terms of supporting a whole lot of different ways that you could upload videos. We didn't have any kind of YouTube support or Vimeo support or anything like that. It was just public URLs from S3. But then we were really just focused on building the API. We at some point evolved into a more full-fledged product. But back then the initial focus was, yeah, build an API, show people some examples, and then show how they can integrate that. Okay, so then you've got the API built, right? How did you progress the product from there? How did you mature it? And, and I'm curious how you went about building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. There was actually a lot of trial and error involved in this. One of the key things for us, having started as we, as we did with a very general product that tried to be almost like for everyone. At a certain point, we figured, okay, we need a sort of a beachhead segment. We need a market that is going to be super excited about this and that we're going to double down on for the initial phases of the product. For us, that turned out to be online education. Startups, course creators, any of a number of stakeholders in that system were actually pretty excited about our product. And moreover, they, they were happy to try it out, happy to give, give it a shot and uh, try a product from a, from a untested startup. A lot of the roadmap really evolved from the requirements of that market. So that's 
that's why I said basically we really nailed it I think with the audio and video search because that's necessary for the for the online lectures and to make that more navigable navigable but also it's important to understand that online educators have a whole lot of different media types different file types that they expose to their students and that's kind of how we added you know document processing presentations text and and all that to our roadmap a, lo a lot of the roadmap really did have to do with the market that, that we were in what i would say you know more generally speaking about the roadmap one of the mistakes that we kind of made earlier on was to try to build too many features preemptively that ended up if, if that end up, ends up not converting you're not not in good shape Nowadays, when we're talking about the roadmap, we try to identify the common threads and the common pain points that customers are experiencing and then try to address those. So we're going for most bang for the buck in terms of what we're seeing from the responses from the market. Well, then let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team? And, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? The most important thing is that I teamed up with my with my co-founder Mate. And so him I had actually known for over 10 years at that point and we actually met through programming competitions. So he was a couple of years uh behind me and I was I was kind of a mentor in in algorithms and I taught a advanced programming course in my old high school. He was one of the people that attended and one of the best really. And so in the in the meantime what I why he was he was such a valuable shall we say associate is that he already had st startup experience. So people who have done startups maybe been there in the in the early stages and uh, just been able to you know absorb everything that's going on all the processes all the not just the product side but when you're that early you can see the sales and marketing side you can see you can see a whole lot of different things that i think is another another thing that that i look at even not just for the co-founder but for the next people as well for the technical part of the company we do just like to see plain old coding people who people who can flat out code whether that's you know people that have done competitions people that have that have done significant work at startups that have uh, you know won academic awards that have done a lot of internships so we just want to see some sort of a track record and see whether this this person is able to deliver stuff and ideally deliver stuff from zero in terms of the other uh, roles and other functions it's it's a little bit more it's a little bit trickier especially especially for us since both of the founders are essentially tech people with less less experience you know doing those functions and even interacting with people in those functions if you're talking about junior people then then attitude so you know whether whether they're in some sense a go-getter whether they're really willing to work hard whether they have that you know spark in their eyes for senior people, you, you want more track record. So if you're if you're looking for a sales rep, you want you want some numbers. You want to see the relevant experience. Uh, but here, I would say I, I can talk about this with way less way less authority than I can about the the technical side of things. From the type of people that you're that you're bringing on, what type of team culture? you know, sort of culminates from that type, those types of mentalities from the juniors or the seniors or the different roles. Tell me what type of team culture that has created for you. 
once you've been at one of the big tech companies, you can never never entirely let it go. So I think that one of the one of the interesting things from Amazon was the so-called leadership principles. And so this is what you know a lot of people there are evaluated on in uh, in addition to the sheer technical contributions. As cheesy as they may be, I actually find that I that I like a lot of them. And so one of them is bias for action. This is actually one that we that we try to to adhere to at the company to the greatest possible extent. You know, there are variations of that with Facebook's move fast and break things. I think it's important to note that it's no longer 2013 and that people's expectations of products have increased. So you can no longer really just launch a you know, a, a random duct tape MVP. There's still a lot of uh, a lot more quality that needs to go into it. But I would say keeping that that initial bias for action, that spark to to just go in and do stuff, that's that's essential for a startup at our stage. So yeah, that and always always uh, looking out for what is happening in the market. You know, not just competitors. We try not to focus on competitors, but also. You know, be on the lookout of people uh, f- for people that we could have good synergies with, for other potential market segments and that sort of thing. So, be- being informed and staying staying on top of what is happening in the in the tech world, if not in the world more broadly. Let's touch on scalability then. So, did you build this to scale from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? We're mostly fighting it as we grow and gain traction, but I will say that, you know, since both my co-founder and I have quite a bit of experience building scalable systems, then our gut feelings are actually pretty good. We know, okay, this is not going to take us to the next level, so we know when to replace stuff and do something something that's a bit more sophisticated. So I would say we didn't over-engineer. We didn't over-engineer. We, we kept the stack as simple as possible. And basically, we, we take on the challenges as, as we go. But like I said, I think that our intuitions and our gut feelings are actually pretty good. And we know we can anticipate what's, what could potentially at some point in the future break and, and get ahead of it. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? First and foremost, I'm really, really, really proud of the team. And the team has really done an amazing job so far. I think that, uh, you know, we, we gel well together. We share the same values. We share the same bias for action. We, we like, we just like doing startup stuff. We, we prefer that more, more than, you know, corporate jobs of any sort. So I'm most proud of the team. The team has really been great. Uh, apart from this, I'm proud that that we have so many happy customers. And you know, even even on our site, we always try to highlight the the customer success stories. And uh, knowing that people that people really like us and that they've been so um, forthcoming and even you know proactive in terms of writing testimonials, talking about us to to other people that they see, uh, just gives me a lot of inspiration to, to, and motivation to, to keep on going forward. So I think those, and also the, the, the choice of the first market segment, I think education, there's something special about the education sector you do because you do want it to be successful almost as like a, uh, a societal 
thing. So you, you definitely feel a little bit of an extra motivation when you know that you're, that you're helping in the, in the education sector. Let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. One of the tricky things that, that happened was, or, or more generally, like how do you decide what to build? How do you decide what the roadmap is? So one of the, one of the mistakes that we, had, that we had made is, and not to go too, too much into the, into the specifics of the case, but uh, we, had a, we had a prospect that uh, we had th- that had certain feature requests, and we basically just dove in and uh, started developing that, and then actually the deal ended up not converting in the end, and so we lost a bit of time there, but it also just taught us a lesson about you know having to prioritize something that would have broad appeal, and not not to get too perturbed by you know just getting getting these feature requests so we've become a lot more i wouldn't say a lot more conservative because that's 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 a bad word for a startup but a lot a lot more careful and uh, a lot more okay in terms of you know just saying no at a certain point and really doing our homework and doing a lot of discussions when it comes to evaluating features and and prioritizing among them well, this will be fun to ask. What's the future look like for OmniSearch, the product, and for your team? So I would say for the team team part, first and foremost. So where we're at currently is we've raised a bit of pre-seed funding. Um, so with that, we can hire, we can hire, make our initial uh, hires on the engineering side and also get some get perhaps some more senior salespeople. So we're, we're evaluating these priorities, but definitely on the technical side, we're due, as you're probably aware yourself, this is, this is a tough problem to solve at the moment. So we're, we're very focused on, on making the engineering hires and making, making that work. Um, and then, you know, after the next round, who knows, we'll, we'll definitely be growing the team in, in all the different functions. But I would say in terms of the product, we, definitely intend to make it more enterprise ready so you know make make it easier to connect all the sources that you have that your company has make that easily uh connectable to omnisearch so that it constantly crawls and scans uh the scans and indexes all the new stuff that you add and then also more sophisticated permission management so these are these are kind of the two main things and also uh, another really cool one is more computer vision stuff when it comes to video search. So developing our own algorithms and, and, and anything else that, that you might think of when, when you're talking about video search. So these are, I think, the, the main things on the roadmap for the next, say, half a year, maybe even next three quarters. And I think we will have our hands full with that. We just need to execute it very, very well, and uh, we'll be good to go, you know, to Fortune 500 companies and offering this to them. Certainly. No, that's very cool. Loving the future stuff, especially the vision search. That sounds like it's going to be really, not only really valuable, but really fun to build. That is going to be fun. That is going to be fun to build. That is go- uh, I love it when something's useful and also fun to build. Yes. 
Let's switch to you, Marin. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a person you look up to and why. Oh, the the inspirations they they abound. So if if we're talking really about the 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 current crop of people in tech, I I really like the Stripe guys. I feel like they they build a good they built a really good product, a tough product to build. So they're very good technically, very good as product people, very good as business people. And what I like is if you take a look at how you know the way they launch stuff they're still operating very much like a startup. They're constantly launching new things. It's always on product hunt and whatnot. So I, I like them. I have a lot of respect for them. Um, if I had to go to go back to my, you know, younger days, high school or whatnot, um, I would say that the, the two main inspirations two two guys that I, that I always read and that almost like got me into startups, apart from the fact that, that, my dad was. Uh, my dad also had his own software company for for a long time. Um, was were Joel Spolsky and Paul Graham, and so I really read a lot of their their essays. They kind of got me into into this mindset that I want to, you know, have a tech startup or tech company because I think that Spolsky wouldn't even use the word startup. Um, I want to have that and uh, basically try my hand at it. So that I think was was the most important inspiration. Well, we talked about mistakes earlier, right? But a little bit different spin. It'll be interesting to see where you go with it. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently, or where would you consider taking a different approach? Th- that is actually a very good question, and uh, it's it's an interesting one because you don't know how it how it would have worked out so one of the routes that i think we could have taken is uh doubled down on you know being everything to everyone making something that's you know just don't niche down rather build a product that is really just for anyone's site and uh market it to you know creators to small medium businesses of, of any sort so that could have worked out differently, but I'm not I'm not sure whether it would have because it might have jumbled jumbled up the the messaging and uh, you know what we're actually trying to convey. Because one one of the initial problems that we had was that we were we were trying to be too general. So I think that the way we played it was actually correct. It's it's an interesting alternate reality, but I actually wouldn't change that much. I think we played it okay. Well, Marin, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this? I would say most important thing is not not to quit. It is It is slightly more subtle than that because... If you want to do startups, you'll probably be miserable at a corporate job. So it's important not to quit the startup world, the startup grind as such. And, but on the other hand, it's important to also realize when, when an idea is not going anywhere and then having, having the guts to, to just pivot and move into something else. So I would say it's important to 
have some sort of a safety net. And now I'm just, you know, getting all practical. But for me, it was, you know, having a top tile profile so that I always knew that, you know, if, if money got tough after I left Amazon and went into startups, that I could always, uh, you know, just take on some projects on the side. And that really gave me a lot of peace of mind. So I would say figure out something like something like that where you have a bit more of a soft landing where it's not not entirely binary like now I'm doing my startup and then um, if that fails and bombs then I'll go work for you know some big corporation that I might not be excited about so that I think is is more more life advice it's not not product or business advice but I think it uh, it, it it's it was very valuable to me from a you know life advice standpoint sure uh, that's that's great advice well, Marin, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of OmniSearch. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Love your series. I appreciate the kind words. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.